What's up, guys? <laughs> Bam, we're live. Jorge, what's up, dude? What's up, man? How you doing? Fuck, dude. Not as good as you and not as good as Alex Stein, but I'm still fucking... <laughs> dude, that beard's looking epic, man. Looking Thank good. you. Thank you. I'm doing the beach life. Um, I had a big old handlebar one looking like a, some sort of like Hasidic Jew knockoff. Second second rate Hasidic Jew for a while. And then I, and then I met at the beach for the last two weeks. So I cut it yeah, all dude, off. I got, I got to hide my girls around you, bro. I got can't, my Sean Penn going. <laughs> I told my wife today that I looked like Eddie Vedder. She's like a little yeah. bit, but, but I think she was lying. <laughs> how you doing matthew how you doing man i'm doing great man how are you good good man um can i show you a clip uh off subject a little bit yep okay uh this was on twitter a couple days ago i saw this i thought oh i gotta run this by jorge see what he thinks so are counted two different things somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane you say that's not okay Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated, they're allowed to stay. But, Why? But that's not how it works. Like we actually no. I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that is what what is happening. But that's not. It's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not. That's, that's not exactly how. Exactly what's happening. We what? thousands of people are walking in a day. Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them are caught. Tens of thousands a week are not. That is what is happening. So. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Jorge Ventura on outside of some guy whose job it is to protect the border or some guy whose job it is to bring illegals over the border. I forget what I think they're called coyotes. There is no reporter, in my humble opinion, who knows more about the border than Jorge Ventura. Jorge, who's right? Peter Ducey from Fox saying people are walking over the border and they're not vaccinated and they're not being tested or her saying, no, that's not what happened. No, it's obviously my boy P. Ducey, man. Let we gotta let Novak play. We were actually making a actually, <laughs> actually I made a joke post about it actually two days ago of like, hey, Novak can't play, but like all these people could could uh could uh, come in. It's kind of ridiculous. The funny thing is, um, Jen Saki could bullshit way better than her. Like Jen Saki would have been out of there and like would have flipped it on Ducey and was like, You're a liar. She, I mean, this this new one, man, she can't get out of there, dude. That fake laugh, she she's gotta do better than that. Jen Saki's running circles around her. So, so people, from from what I've seen, from the reporting I've seen, people by the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Oh yeah, I, 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 obviously I'm being I'm being sarcastic, but yeah, no, um, yeah, by the tens, hundreds of thousands. There was a report we did last year where, um, if you guys remember when those fifteen thousand Haitians all crashed the bridge at one time, it was in Del Rio. It was actually in September. Um, they were actually releasing Haitians to the public, and we were actually doing an interview with Haitians saying, hey. Have you been tested with, you know, with, with COVID-19 before being released to the public? And they would all say no. Um, we actually put that video out and actually forced Secretary Mar Mayorkas to have, actually have to admit that. So this is very true. They're also being flown on the same planes and buses that a lot of Americans are being put on. This is that video is not less than a week ago. We, we, we took that in uh, Eagle Pass. This is around nine in the morning. A group of 300 uh, came. Um, from Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, but the most of them are going to be Cuban. And look how proud they are to, you know, to, to like flex the country that they're from. They're throwing like that guy's on his phone. He's all like on like Instagram Live already. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're they're flexing on us when they come in. So so what am I looking at? That's at, are, are are we in the United States? Is this footage in the United States? Yeah, so, so this is a uh, this is around nine in the morning. I, I uh, this was just last Friday. We we took this in uh, Eagle Pass. 
And so many migrants came at one time that Border Patrol couldn't put them in trucks. So that's why you actually see them walking on a on a on a highway. And down that highway, there was already a group of 80. And this was at nine in the morning. This is like to get the day started for Border Patrol. On now, these people way. want to be caught, right? But look at this. Yeah. They're not, like, they're not running, right? Up. Look, look. Right. This dude is like, no. he just flipped this off. You saw the dude in the yellow shirt just flipped this off? <laughs> oh, no. It's like a line to get into a, a music festival. So they made it. They know these people made it. Oh, dude. they're These people made it. They're all good to go. That's why, like, no other country is doing what we're doing. And, um, you know, every time I'm at the border, the thing that's always shocking me is like, this is just in one area that we're able to be at at nine in the morning. I mean, can you only imagine what's going on um, in the rest of rest of the border? This is a little small uh, a portion, but this is what, what was shocking is like, this is what, you know, Border Patrol and local law enforcement, this is like them starting off their morning and, you know, they're completely overwhelmed. And basically they're all Uber drivers for these for these immigrants now because they're like picking them up, taking them to processing centers. Um, but this is, I mean, this is crazy. This, ha- this happens on a daily basis. So, I mean, we could, we could send the, the white house this, this video, this was le- less than a week ago. <laughs> so where do these, so th- where do these people go from here? They go straight to a COVID testing center. No, 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 no. They'll, they'll go to a, <laughs> that's, that's my question. Like- <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. You know that. Uh, no, they, they'll go to a processing center. Obviously they'll, they'll try to, you know, they'll run identification, try to get their IDs with, you know, DNA fingerprints, all, all that type of stuff. Um, then what's happening right now is they're so overwhelmed that majority of them, they're being dropped off at, at an NGO or like a Catholic charity. And then the Catholic charity and that, and that NGO will then organize a travel for those migrants. They'll, in, this is in the United States. Now, this is Our government United passes States. them off to some non-governmental organization. Yeah. Now, now, very few people will get actually like deported or like Title 42. So if you're like a single male coming out without a family, you're most likely going to be deported, especially – if you're coming from Central America. So if you're like a Salvadorian male, uh, Nicaraguan male, Guatemalan male, you got like 0% chance if you're coming if you're coming by yourself. Right now, there's a loophole with the Venezuelans. That's why you see a lot of Venezuelan men coming because they know they're being let in and then processed in. So a lot of Venezuela, Venezuelan men are coming right now with no families. That's why you're seeing that. Another, that's why there were no Mexicans. You're saying that those weren't Mexicans. No, no. If, if, there's, a, there's, a kind of a, there's a kind of a myth about the border that like, it's Mexicans who are cra- the Mexicans are not involved in this border crisis at all, and they've not been involved in a long time. And the reason why Mexicans don't cross is because Mexico and United States have a, an agreement where if a Mexican national crosses illegally, they could be criminally charged and then immediately deported. So no Mexican even tries. The only Mexican nationals that are crossing illegally are literally like the guys that are called Godaways, so they're not trying to be apprehended either because they already have a past criminal record. Uh, here in the uh, United States, or they're running drugs, fed. You'll see them in the camo- uh, camouflage clothes. They'll have like what, they, what is called carpet shoes. So when they're out there in the deserts or whatever, they don't leave any footprints. So those are the Mexican nationals coming in. So Mexicans are not causing it. Also in that video, I want to point out for the audience because they'll probably find this pretty interesting. Is you'll see a lot of Cubans, right? So the, the question I always get is why uh, or, or how many so uh, how many Cu- uh, why why are so many Cubans getting to Mexico? How are they, you know they're in an island? So when I interview these Cubans, the story that I keep getting from Yuma to, to Texas is they say, well, Jorge, what we do is we actually buy a ticket to Nicaragua and fly into Nicaragua. So Cubans can't fly into Mexico because Mexico requires a travel visa for those Cubans. So the Cubans don't do that route. Um, Nicaragua has a very leftist, uh, you could call him a president, you could call him a dictator, whatever, president, Daniel Ortega. So him and Cuba have a very, very friendly relationship they always had for years. So Cubans can fly into Nicaragua. Nicaraguans can fly into Cuban without any travel visa. It's not required. So what Cubans tell me is 
the Cubans that you are seeing fly in are mostly in the middle class. So a lot of doctors are coming in because the tickets to fly to Nicaragua, um, from what I'm hearing, cost between two thousand bucks to six thousand, right? So basically, wow. the Cuban officials know that any Cuban buying a flight to Nicaragua is obviously not coming back. Like no Cuban is flying to Nicaragua right now for for a fucking vacation. They know they're flying into <laughs> Nicaragua to obviously get into Mexico. If for Mexico make that journey to the U.S. And, and the whole thing's making a mockery over all the COVID stuff. Uh, we, we, if you were to guess, how many people do you think have come across the border without a COVID test? A thousand? A hundred thousand? Oh, that's, a that's, that's baby numbers. I would say like over 2.5 million just to play conservative. Three, three million just to play conservative. Oh, wow. So the whole COVID thing's just a mockery. It, it, it's a complete joke. We're just letting people in over the border. Yeah, I mean, even like I said, even even last September, last year in September, when I was interviewing those Haitians, they were they weren't even testing the Haitians. So they, I mean, that's the whole testing the the migrants before being let out have have a you know that's already been done, dude. That's that's been done. I would say, I don't know, man. Probably more than more than a year and a half ago now. I wonder. I wonder what the vaccination rate is of people who cross the border. That's a good question. We actually, I'm actually, I'm in New Arizona now. I'm at the border, so I'm actually going to go out tonight. We were probably going to do some interviews with migrants if they've been tested um, or not, and then kind of just see what's up. But I, I guarantee you that 70, 60 percent have not been tested. Probably even more. Fucking nuts! And meanwhile, yeah. the greatest tennis player who ever lived can't just come hit a ball <laughs> around in New York City. Dude, Novak can't catch a break in Australia or the U.S. It's fucking bull. It's BS, dude. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It's, hey, it's do, joke, you, do you have an opinion on the myocarditis thing? All the people dropping is it? Is it? Is it just a right right wing nut job conspiracy? Or, or is dude, it, I'm, a, I'm gonna be honest, bro. I, I haven't even looked into it. I've been so um, the, I've been so border focused, man. Ever since May, ever since May, the ending of Title Forty Two, and then Uvalde. And the border has this. So we've been. I've been so like, just this is the grind, dude. I've been. I kind of tuned out at a lot of stuff. And um, but hey, that's a, just that's a, that's just part of the job at this point. Right. Okay. Uh, um, Jorge is not uh, telling the truth there. He has been doing other things. And I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you what else he's been doing. Also, uh, run the trailer, Mr. Souza. Please. Uh, we're taking a minute and thirty seven second break. Enjoy this trailer of uh, Jorge Ventura's well. new you documentary. Well. God damn it. You have to understand our frustration that we've been going through this for years. Did you know that one of our citizens got attacked on her property, walked in her dog by one of the pot growers' dogs? So when a straight bullet comes and hits one of my children or me, I swear to God, on a stack of Bibles, I will go out and I will... Yeah, you can take marijuana, you can take water regulation. Let's go down the line. We have no allies in the state government. Is there a rough estimate of how many cartel members are here right now? Conservative estimate, 10,000. 10,000 Yeah, people. I'd say conservative just, estimate. Just California. Just in California. These are organized crime groups, highly structured, well-funded, very aggressive, well-armed, in our forests all over California. They interviewed one of our sheriff deputies, head rats he just said we don't have enough resources to stop them if they ever come here and then bam they were here all of a sudden you had a thousand people show up who wanted to vote who all came from out of the area who all just happened to be growing illegal marijuana it's kind of like well and it blew up as the enforcement started to dwindle they rapidly increased i want some sort of acknowledgement that is a problem I have yet to even hear that. 
They, well, they, they are racist. Who? Uh, the communists. I, it's uh, the whole racist twist to that was fucking cracking me up. It was cracking me up. <laughs> yeah, it, we, we just put that. That was a. That was a. Problem. Everyone's screaming it now. You have two tons of marijuana in the back of your truck illegally grown. Like, stop being. You're just because you're racist. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that was a. Uh, that was the mung. Some mung growers up in a uh, Siskiyou County up in up in NorCal. Man, it's it's wild up there. Ten thousand. Do you think that that's actually? So, so there's 115,000 institutional prisoners in California. That the, the, the United, the California has 115,000 approximately people inmates. Are you telling me that there's 10,000? Do you think that could be actually accurate? Cartel members. Yeah, yeah. So the guy in California. Said, I mean, that's a fucking army. Yeah. So the guy who said that his name is literally uh, absolutely fascinating. You, I got actually connect you guys with him, man. You got to, you got to have him on his. So his name is John Norris. He is a, a retired uh, game warden sergeant um, with the with the game wardens of California. So what's fascinating about John is um, he developed their very first marijuana enforcement team. So like basically getting these game wardens to raiding Mexican grows. And he developed the first Delta team, which is basically a sniper team that helps out um, these game wardens basically raid these uh, cartel grows. So basically John's John, just like his, his, his quick story is, he was a regular game warden in California, you know, as a guy who loved the wildlife, um, you know, grew up loving it. His father raised him on that. And um, one day around 2005, 2006, he was out in Northern California and he found a creek that the, he saw that the water was being diverted. So he was like, OK, well, let me follow the creek. And what he was expecting is I'm going to run into a rancher or farmer, whatever, that was just diverting the, the water for for their cattle, whatever. Probably write him a ticket. That's like the basic stuff. So he follows this creek, and then he follows it, and he basically discovers this, like, 7,000 marijuana uh, operation. This is on the California National Park. So these are these are our public property. Um, on uh, So basically finds this 7,000 marijuana field and notices the guys that are working this field basically are heavily armed, long guns, camouflage Mexican nationals. Um, he basically alerted the uh, local officials. They were able to raid that grow. I believe a year later, he stumbles on another marijuana operation with the, with another game warden. This time, unfortunately, they were shot upon, and his game warden was shot between the legs. So John had to like carry his game warden out of there, and they, because they're in this rural parts of California. I mean, very rural, you know, basically no cell phone service. They waited like three hours for a helicopter to come save him. So basically, I discovered John uh, John's story on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. I was this was back in 2019. I was in, I was in community college. So I was a student journalist. I heard this when I was working for working in Uber. And when I heard about cartel and illegal marijuana operations in California, I thought to me, this is one of the more fascinating subjects ever. Uh, but at that time, since I was a college student, I, you know, I couldn't do much about it. I didn't know much about journalism. Obviously, um, last year, as you guys know, I was on your guys's podcast. We dropped the very first uh, documentary that, that I've done on this subject, Cartelville. It was on this subject, but it was in the Southern California desert, which is a completely new thing. So in the Southern California deserts, this is a new problem, and it's not just – so I could just say the context for the audience again for those who didn't listen at least to the last episode. Thank you. This is not the Cheech and Chong, like, hippies, like, growing pot. This is not also, like, for instance, like, I know there's, there's parts of California where, like, the legal uh, count, the, you know, uh, plant count could be, like, 99 plants, and someone could have, like, 150. 
we're not worried about those people. These are we're worried about the people who are legitimately are like legit uh, cartel crime. So Mexican nationals, Hmong, Chinese. We're seeing a lot of Russians, and we're seeing the Armenians involved in these huge illegal marijuana. I thought operations. we talked about that on the last show. I thought we talked about that on the last and, show. And, and and the thing is, they're involved in. Obviously, you need you know uh, water to grow the weed, and the water is being stolen. So the huge issue here is is the water theft. So if you don't live in California, you might not understand, but our state is in the biggest drought ever, his, historic drought. So um, these cartel people are basically stealing all the water, growing the weed for free. A lot of the, the, the people that are even working on, on these grows are basically Crazy. migrants that are being forced um, to work on these grows. We, we interviewed those people, um, a couple of those folks that were witnesses in the first documentary, Cartelville. We interviewed a firefighter. He didn't make it in the documentary, but he was a firefighter from Shasta County. He actually saved three migrants that were being forced to work on the grow um, basically, there was a wildfire out there in Northern California, which happens basically all the time. And these migrants were so scared to leave the grow that they actually were burning up and almost died until this firefighter saved them. And then the firefighter said, hey, how did you guys end up in this business? They said, we were actually in a in a Home Depot like three hours away from here. We got picked up thinking that we were going to work a regular like labor job. Oh, like and All of a sudden, we're in the middle of nowhere in the freaking mountains and, and we're being told that we have to grow this pot. So um it's 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 crazy. So basically, Simon, just to give you a quick breakdown, after Thanks. we put out our first documentary, Cartelville, I got called by a former guy that used to be in law enforcement for years uh, up in Northern California. He gives me a ring. He said, Jorge, I saw your documentary. I loved it. He said, um, but in your in where you live, so where I live is L.A. County. We have about um, over 500 illegal grows. I think that number is probably over 600 now. Like I said, it's a new thing in where, where, where we live in the SoCal deserts. The county next door, which is San Bernardino. They're about at a uh, twelve hundred illegal growth, so it's a it's it's a pretty big deal now for us. But in just in one county, just Siskiyou County, they have they're estimated between seven thousand to ten thousand illegal growth. So I mean they they're seeing this this problem at a scale times a hundred, and uh, basically our documentary goes into telling the stories of what these communities very very poor, very rural communities. I'm talking about ranchers and farmers. We were in a town called Doris, California, which I never heard of till I went there. Doris is like this town near Oregon. So we're like in the border, border state line near Oregon with like barely like a thousand people. And you're seeing this town with like barely a thousand people with like one or two sheriffs deal with a cartel problem. It's absolutely fascinating. And to me, it's, it's even more fascinating that it's not even like a national issue yet. Um, this this issue, after spending a lot of time in Northern California, has not just become a Northern California issue. There are a lot of Southern Oregon. So a lot of Southern Oregon is seeing a Mexican national cartel being involved in their illegal growth. So a lot of these guys are going back and forth between Southern Oregon and Northern California and bringing supplies, men, you know, water, whatever they need. Uh, Susa, how many people live in Siskiyou County? I think I saw – I think in the documentary they said it was 44,000. Could that be right? It's that yeah, small. So 40, and, and the thing is, this is um, um, Siskiyou County is a massive county. When we talk about landmass, we're talking about like state. It, it kind of like similar states of like Rhode Island, Delaware. Like it's huge. Okay. Um, so you'll you'll find little pockets in towns with like people barely like a thousand people, five thousand people. Um, it's very rural. So let me just put it in perspective. So these these communities are mostly um white working class ranchers and farmers. You'll have a a, a big population of also Hispanic. Uh, ranchers out there, workers out there working in the fields. Around 2013, 2016-ish, they started to see a huge wave of Hmong come into these very poor... What's a Hmong? Pull up a Hmong for me. Uh, yeah, Hmong is like... Um, 
God, I didn't want to get this wrong, but they're it's Asian. A Chinese it's, dude. It's, it's like it's like a Vietnamese island like islander is what I heard. But um, here, bring it up, Matthew, because I don't want to get this. I don't want to get canceled for Monk M U N G. Yeah, no, it's H M O U N. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Hmong are the ethnic group of people with specific language and culture. Okay, thank you. Uh, they originally came from China over 4,000 years of history. Some Hmong left China to Vietnam and Laos, Thailand, Burma, beginning in the early 1800s as a result of Lang. Okay. When you, of, I mean, the guys you interviewed, from from my eye, look they don't look Vietnamese. They look Chinese. Well, they, they were um, – those guys were Hmong. So basically, just, just to give you guys some perspective, okay. um, a lot of the Hmong community helped the Americans back in the Vietnam War – they fought side by side. And a lot of those Hmong, they then moved to the state of Minnesota over the years. So basically what happened is around 2013 to 2016, the communities in Siskiyou and also Shasta County up there um, started to notice a huge influx of these Hmong people, this Hmong community, right, coming into their into their communities. And they also noticed that the license plates, all, all of the cars, mostly all came from Minnesota. So around to, around this time, we're seeing the, the, the kind of Hmong migration from Minnesota down to these communities. And if you interview the Hmong people, they say, well, we started coming around this time because land was very, very cheap. And this land kind of similar to our land back in the homeland. So they started moving into these communities around this time in 2016. Are you calling horseshit on that? You, you call horseshit on that? Or <laughs> you buy that? Yes and no. Yes and no. I'm not. Okay, I'm not. Okay. I'm, I'm saying for some of them, there are very good people that are literally there just to farm. But do now you think that they really moved there because of a similar geographic conditions and weather conditions to their homeland, and because land was cheap, or do you think that they're being cheap. seduced there for work? Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking about very, very um, extremely cheap out there in in Siskiyou County. But you did start, you started to have some players. One guy's name is Moon Young Lee. So Moon Young Lee migrates from Minnesota to, to this part and buys massive uh, uh, parts of land and buys what these things are called, like these little parcels on these land. Now, these parcels are only supposed to have like one property owner, like one or two people basically living on there. And what he does is he starts bringing in his family from Minnesota and then other Hmong people start to do the same thing where they basically buy pieces of land, bring in um, many family members. So the, so this, the community starts growing and it's obviously in these rural communities, it's, it's, it's quick to, to, to pick it up around 2016. Typ typical migrant move, right? I'm sure your families did that when they came from El Salvador. I know my, my family did that when they come from uh, Lebanon, Beirut, you bring one brother comes over and he brings over eight, eight more exactly. and they all live in the same apartment. Mm -hmm. right? okay. Yeah. So, so th that's what we start to see here. But the thing is, is you notice it quicker when it's a very, very poor rural community. And you're like, wait a minute, was, you know, sums up around 2016. And this, I'm just summing this up real, real quick. I don't want to give the whole story, but like around 2016, there was a County clerk for Siskiyou County. She starts to she starts to notice that um, for their for their uh, registered voters, they got over five hundred new registered voters. And she's like, "Hold on, this is huge!" Already <laughs> for 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 small community. Looks up those registered voters. All of those registered voters have Asian names. Starts to look up the names and starts to see that those names are also registered in other counties. Oh, so she calls the sheriffs. Mm. They call the state of California. They start to investigate. We interview a sheriff. What he told me is. They, they start to interview these these Hmong property owners. They said one parcel that it was a huge red flag. One parcel had 55 registered voters. And around this time is they're seeing the huge influx of the illegal marijuana grows. And what those sheriffs told me said, he's like, even he's like, Jorge, even to do those interviews with those property owners, 
we had to go in their strap because at this time, the Hmong people are already strapped. They're already starting to grow marijuana illegally, and they're starting to get, it, get it into this black market business. So basically, our documentary goes into the story of the Hmong, this illegal marijuana kind of black business operations and telling the story of that and kind of the, the new twist to the tell. Because right now we know about the cartels of the Mexican nationals, Russians, all of that. Um, obviously, we have John Norris in there. John Norris brings in the stories of, of the days where he fought basically Mexican nationals in California national parks. That's still happening to this day. Um, but we wanted to show people what was going on with these monk communities because um, I find it fascinating that they were registering to vote. They're looking to play a, a role in local politics. Um, and the people up there are very, very worried of what's going on. And like I said, these are p poor, poor rural communities. You can obviously see it in the trailer. The, the woman was like worried about her kids saying, hey, if, if something happens to my kids, a bullet comes in, I'm going to raise hell, whatever. Um, that was actually a town hall indoors, California. You, one of those ranchers actually presses the DA and says, hey, if I shoot, one of these cartel guys, am I going to get charged with homicide, like for defending myself? Mm. Like these guys are on my property, long guns, AKs. Uh, and th these are real stories going on um, in Northern California that, that a lot of people just have no idea. But people in Northern California kind of know, but they're, they're, they want this stuff more of a, you know, with a national spotlight. The, the Chinese who were in um, cartel land in your first documentary, they weren't um, bosses, right? They were working off uh, deals that they had for getting immigration into the country, right? But now we're seeing Chinese Hmongs who are actual bosses. We're seeing some bosses. They're still Chinese bosses. It's just that the day that we went embedded with the San Bernardino County Sheriffs, okay, and when they raided these land. girls, yeah, they, when they raided these girls, it was just the workers that got caught that day. Like, those guys didn't even speak English. Like, straight Chinese nationals didn't even speak English. And that's what oh, you're seeing most of these, wow. on like, most of the girls it's always going to be like the low level guys. You got, you, you'll even see it on this documentary when, when, when we were embedded with Siskiyou County and they raid grows. Um, most of the people caught are literally just workers. Like they're not, they're not the, the, the powerful people are never like on the grows because they know the chances of getting caught, the chances of, of getting raided. And they don't want to obviously, you know, get arrested or anything. The interesting thing uh, too, is we interviewed those, those, those people, those people were a married couple from the, from Minnesota who were there for a whole month who haven't even been paid yet. We asked them like, you've even been paid. Haven't even been haven't been paid. The good looking Another, Chinese couple that you kind of had blurred out. Those people? Yeah. Those yeah. they hadn't been paid yeah. in a month. They have they've been working 30, 30, 30 days. They're they're new to the whole the whole game and they haven't been paid. And they're calling the cops racist. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. The other, the other key here is because these are poor rural communities, you're actually watching this. You know, there's another story. Um, we actually might dive deeper later, but of these what these sheriffs have to go through. What you know, these guys are some of the lowest funded people. In the state, so like we were in Siskiyou County, their county sheriff is the youngest sheriff in the whole state of California. So you have this 37-year-old fresh guy with a lot of energy. He's a good guy, Jer Jeremiah, um, who Jeremiah LaRue, who has a cartel problem yet has no funding to take on the issue. Um, I talked to some of their sheriff deputies in Siskiyou County. I said, you know, what do you guys get paid or, or, or you know, how come you guys can't attract people? It's like, dude. No one wants to battle cartels or, or be raiding illegal girls for like twenty bucks an hour. That's what they. Right, that's what they right. start off on. In right. They don't wow. want to get killed. They don't want to get killed. That's crazy. And even really quick, even those like little tractors that you guys saw in the trailer, you know, like they're like you know raiding the girls or like picking up the stuff. Those are actually loaned by like a local rancher. So if like if a rancher didn't give the sheriff oh, department shit. those like tractors, the sheriffs couldn't even afford to even have their own tractors and stuff like that. So that's how poor these communities are and it makes a perfect um target for the Hmong community chinese nationals and the mexicans 
for illegal marijuana operations because everything is on their side. They know that these are poor rural communities, so they don't have the resources to take them on. The state of California, essentially, with 2016, when they made marijuana legal, then they made the uh, illegal cultivation, which used to be a felony down to a misdemeanor. It kind of gave these guys more rights. So when I talked to John Norris, the, the game warden, when he told me, he said, hey, Jorge, back in the day, when these Mexican nationals were on the California National Parks, it was easier to take them on because you didn't really need the search warrant because they're already on public land. Now mm -hmm. they own these properties and you need a search warrant. Wow. They kind of know how to, it's kind of a loophole. So they're kind of using what he said, according to their words, is you have these guys using the constitution almost against us. And they're being right. so far running right. the playbook to, you know, successfully. Uh, this is kind of an interesting comment uh, here. Um, what is colonization of another nation called if it's legalized, encouraged, and then voted for? It's, it is interesting to think like you look back in 200 years and you could be like, oh, yeah, the United States was colonized by uh, uh, Latins and Chinese. I mean, the story could be so easily <laughs> it could be so easily spun that it was just a, a colonization of the country. Um, another th interesting thing was is they, they'll have spotters. The cops will roll in. And 50 people will leave and they can't even stop yep. any of them because mm -hmm. they have no proof. They have no proof. Right. All of a sudden they're coming down a road to do a raid and they see 50 cars drive by them. What can they do? Yeah. From a, from a reporter perspective, it was really cool to see that because we didn't yeah. see that in our first, like with the Mexicans in the deserts, they don't do that shit. And like, they just, that's just not their game because it's, it's a completely different game in the deserts. But out there, since the Hmong a little bit more tightly close together, the Hmong communities, they have lookouts. So when the cops even go in for the raids, they're on the phones and you'll see like 50 cars like just getting out of there. And by the time you know the cops show up, there's like few people. I mean, it wasn't even lucky that they even got people that day. And, you know, it was great because we got them on camera and we got to interview them. Um, but it's it's fascinating stuff out there. And it's, it's a completely different world. Just to put in perspective, there was um, we were out there. Also, there was another county called La uh, Lassen, um, Lassen County. Lassen County is as big as the state of Rhode Island. And we interviewed this rancher out there who basically called the, called the uh, sheriff deputies because he had these uh, cartel guys stealing water, threatening him, whatever. He calls the sheriff deputies, and these guys are like, hey, man, we have two deputies for the whole county. We literally can't send anyone to you. I can't risk any of my deputies. And it's kind of really, man, like you're all on your own out there um, because the local law enforcement doesn't have the resources. Um, a lot of the people out there do feel that uh, Sacramento and Gavin Newsom – they don't want to address the issue because this did ha this is happening under Newsom, and now we have. Newsom well, they issue. say it in your documentary it's because hey, we didn't vote for Newsom, so now he's not protecting us. Basically, exactly. we, we voted we Republicans, so we're fucked. Also, also, for people who are not in California, when you're up in Northern California, it is a almost a completely different state from Southern California. So don't think mm -hmm. like San Francisco, LA. This is like this is almost mm -hmm. like you're in kind of Kansas, middle of nowhere, ranchers, farmers. Like these people, biggest are like forest you've ever seen, too. Crazy forests. Yeah, yeah, overwhelmingly Republican. We were in Lassen County, and Lassen County um, voted to over. Um, they, no, they voted to recall Newsom by eighty-three percent. So that wow. county, like, led the county in the recall. So just a, so it's that type of community. So they feel that because they were so against Newsom and the recall and other other issues, they're going to get no no help on this on this one. One of the stats in the movie was that eighty percent. Of the marijuana grows in the state of California, I'm looking to make sure I got this right, are illegal. 80% uh, of marijuana grows don't pay taxes. How, how – what – what? I thought the deal was we were going to make marijuana legal in California 
and that was going to make all the cartel crime go away. How come like um, uh, Marlboro hasn't come in and uh, just taken over the marijuana industry? How come um, uh, you know what I mean? How come Dejarum or or American Spirit? Why is it because it's still illegal federally and, and big companies don't want to get involved? I think it's because it's still illegal federally, and I know there's something with the banks and stuff like that. What I could just tell you from the fascinating thing with the illegal and legal thing right now, and for for people out there, I would I would uh, highly recommend to do some research after this because it's I think it's one of more of the fascinating subjects. So in 2016, when this was legalized, I thought like just even being in California, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, people are not gonna go to jail for like smoking a dime bag. Just you know, get it off, and plus we could do it legally. So then. Um, you know, you could actually go to a store and not have to like call like a dude in the middle of the night, like, "Hey, man, can I get a dime?" <laughs> yeah, crime should drop. Everything yeah, should be. You know, it should like, just be yeah. part of the agricultural store, industry. The, the yeah. state of California could tax it. I just thought, like, oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. You know, great. So over the years, what happened is, and what what some of the legal weed guys told me is like, Jorge, back in the day, it was awesome, right? Because we could sell a pound, and and we would sell a pound of weed. This is the market was for twelve hundred bucks. The state of California will then tax that twelve hundred for about one fifty, so it was great. Business was great. Fast forward to today, right now, because of the market is so oversaturated, and because of the illegal side, the market is you sell a pound for three hundred, and the state of California still wants one fifty on it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so what's happening right now is, uh, if you guys don't know, is the legal weed side is urging Gavin Newsom. I believe it's like a hundred million dollar bailout. They're also looking – they're telling Newsom to like relax the taxes for about three years to save the legal weed side because the legal weed side is being destroyed by the black market. Um, and it's it's really struggling to survive. The only really legal weed business that's surviving in California as of – I mean right now is are like the semi-big companies. But like the small mom-and-pop shops are almost done. Um, they're looking so people for are still out. buying – if me and you were, if if I was still in college, I probably wouldn't be using a dispensary. I'd just be buying weed just from the same guy. Bought it. like people are still buying bags from like the dealers in their neighborhoods and shit. No, no, no. Like like you know, regular folks in Cali, college kids are going to a dispensary. They're buying pot. Like they're still going. Like that's still that's still happening. It's just that in California, the market there's just so many elite like weed businesses and the illegal side. It's really just destroyed all of it. So how is well, that eighty percent getting so into? Basically, like the 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 people who are buying the illegal weed, there is people that are going to those you know to to to, to those businesses that are just buying it illegally, so there's no taxes. There's a lot of uh, dispensaries that are like basically like the fake black market dispensaries, so they're they might be set up like legally, but they're illegal, uh, you know, black market. So that's a lot, all around mm-hmm. South LA. I was interviewing a legal weed guy about that about the fake shops. But the so eighty percent of this illegal weed is still g- somehow making its way into the legal market. It's still going through dispensaries. Well, no, no, a lot of the illegal weed, the majority is actually being shipped to the East Coast to the to the states where it's uh, not legal yet. So that's uh, where the majority. The, uh, majority yeah. for, the, the, the uh, for a lot of these cartel guys, like the, the the what you guys are seeing in the in the documentary, that weed is not staying in California. That is going all to the East Coast okay. or triple the profit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. and how do you how do you suspect they're moving that? Because that's one of the things, right? Like, how are they first buying the land? Who are they buying the land for? Or are they buying the land? Are they showing up on public property and setting up? And then how are they moving the marijuana out of there? So there, there's a there's a couple there's a couple different ways. So I'll, I'll start off with um, how we did it in our in our first documentary, Cartelville. So out there in uh, Antelope Valley, California, it's like desert. It's a rural community. So two of the ways is 
What are the ways we're simply just what we call is a squatting, right? So just finding a piece of land that no one is out there and literally just setting up an illegal marijuana site and just getting mm-hmm. into business. It's that rule up there where you could you could do things like that. The other is literally just buying a, a property, uh, cash. And the thing is, what makes the cartel uh, buyers attractive to the sellers is they're willing to pay way above market for cash. So one thing mm-hmm. that we touched upon, one thing that we, we didn't touch upon on the second documentary that we really hammered on the first one because we already talked about it in Cartelville was the effect that these guys were having on the real estate market. We even we, we interviewed that former real estate agent that was like, dude, these guys are out here selling property for like triple, four times the rate. And they're like literally, basically they're, they're buying so many properties, they're turning into cartel neighborhoods because no one could compete with them. Um, yeah. And if you're a seller... Um, and, and you're out there in the middle of nowhere and these guys come up and say, hey, man, um, you know, your property, your little shitty property out here in the middle of nowhere that no one wants that has no access to water. Yeah. Um, you have it on the market for like 150 K. Well, here's 350 K cash. Get out. Get out by the first. Just shut your mouth. And then, you know, like, like, oh, yes, yeah. sir, we're out of it here. It really yeah. is like that, huh? Yeah. So just come it's like I said, that, that's what I was, that was, what I was saying, Matthew. When I talked to the law enforcement, they told me, he said, Jorge, in 2016. That the making it making it the felonies basically instead of a felony to a misdemeanor making weed basically legal statewide it gives all the basically power to the property owner now because they can now use a constitution against law mm-hmm. enforcement so that's why it makes mm-hmm. it harder to raid these grows you could even go out there and be like dude there's like a there's a five thousand plants you guys can't just raid them you need a search warrant you need right. all that you need all the little BS um, yeah. before you even do that raid so. That's what kind of makes it a little bit difficulty for for law enforcement right now. And how are they moving this sh- th- these massive amounts of weed to these coast trucks? As of right now, one of the the things that I found just from witnesses and guys on the ground is like FedEx. I mean, uh, uh, um, U-Haul trucks. So literally packing up in U-Haul trucks and just driving them across state lines. Um, and and we 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 talked to like property yeah. owners in Northern California that like just follow them with like cameras and stuff like that. Um, and I'm sure they have other ways to move them because um, you know marijuana is. Now in day and age, it's not that difficult to move anymore, you know, but mm-hmm. um, these guys are, are figuring out that by, yeah, by the masses. Yeah. And the um, reason why I asked is about 10 years ago, I knew a guy in Ukiah that was moving a lot of it to the East Coast as well. And he was just straight up using the mail systems. Yep. Just packaging it in a box and sending it out. It was crazy. Yeah. I, I, I know a few, like, I had a uh, I had some friends back in the day who were, you know, involved in that type of world. And the way that they've used to move it. It was all through the mail system with like yep. all types of wrappers and like all type. I mean, but it was all possible. I mean, these guys were like 17 years old and moving weight to the East Coast. I'm, I'm sure the cartel guys have, 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 are doing around the same thing. But one of the tactics that, yep. that I found was um, was the um, the uh, the U-Haul trucks. And a, a quick story that I wanted to share um, also from the documentary that like always stood out is uh, we interviewed a, a retired school teacher. Right. So she's like on a fixed income. And she owned this property up in Shasta County near Whiskey Lake, Whiskey Town Lake. And what she told us is that she hadn't been on the property for about three months. So, so she sent her son up there. She said, hey, go check on the wells. Make sure everything's all right. So he goes, checks up, checks up on the wells. And he goes and discovers 10 Mexican nationals heavily armed with campsites on their, on their property. And they were already pumping water from their well with black poly pipe. So obviously he freaks out calls law enforcement, you know, the, the law enforcement goes, basically scares those guys out of there. But it kind of lets you know, like, that, just how blatant they are. Like, they literally had set up campsites on her property. They had black poly pipe, everything. We're pumping water every single day. And these are the type of stories that, that we're hearing up in Northern California, and they're all, the, all, all around this issue. 
And like I said, it's, it's trickled into no, uh, to Southern Oregon. So we're seeing some of that in Southern Oregon. Um, so we'll kind of see how, how that kind of develops in these next kind of couple of years. But I kind of feeling, man, that the legal weed side um, is almost set to fail, unfortunately, in uh, in California. If they if they can't get a bailout, they can't relax, relax those taxes on these guys. If it was if it was legalized federally, do you think the whole thing would go away? Um, it's 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 hard to tell. Um, I mean, I think the banks so. would then open up. I, I that bank issue, I forgot about that. Also, I think the that's bank another issue problem. Is the biggest thing because when mm-hmm. I when I talk to guys, that's like the thing that that's always holding them back. And when I talk to a lot of guys that want to do it legally, they're like, "Hey, man, I want to do it legally, but it's like the taxes and this issue. It's like it's like murdering us. Um, yeah. just even even do it legally, then this the, these other guys don't even have to worry about taxes, the water." Or, and none of that. They don't even have to worry about the labor rights or paying like an hourly wage right. for the right. workers. Mm-hmm. So you really, you really can't compete with that. <laughs> That's crazy. Hey, any yeah. other drugs besides marijuana? I mean, these, these same guys are involved in the fentanyl game and, and and the other issues. We just we just point out to this game particular because there's so much things attached to it. And when people kind of think marijuana now, it's like, hey, it's just you know hippies growing pot. And I get it. Like this is not like a anti reefer madness type of thing. This is like, hey. Because these guys are doing it illegally in the way they are, there's a water theft issue. So the amount of water that's being stolen. I mean, just in Southern California, they estimated that from the water theft every day that California is losing between three million to nine point five million gallons a day of, of just of the illegal growth. And that's just in SoCal. Crazy. We're not even talking about even Northern California yet. Um, there's also a chemical issue. I didn't even really get into the, the chemicals, but mm-hmm. all the chemicals that they spray, these toxins, they're coming in from Mexico. They're actually banned in the U.S. And they're sprayed on these on these plants, so wildlife out there in these rural areas can't eat the plants. The issue is that these these chemicals are so deadly that they're killing wildlife out there, but they're also destroying just the environment. And a lot of these chemicals will actually seep into the waterbeds and make it into the water. I'm from the Antelope Valley in Southern California, so like when these cartels are out there in the, in the SoCal, we saw um we saw that in Cartelville is we have the uh, Joshua tree, so we actually have a right, tree right. that is protected by the state of California, and like out there, you know. The Joshua tree is kind of like an emblem of my hometown, man. It's like a, it's kind of tied to Palmdale, Niano Valley. They're endangered, aren't they? You can't just it, go out and cut it, one of those down, right? Not, yeah, you can't. It's actually, it's actually, I think it's against the law or so against some type of, of code if you do that. But those guys are out there like destroying all the Joshua trees and making flat land to start their illegal grows, and they're not. And the thing is, those guys are not getting even like a ticket. And then if there's like a rancher out there, and if he uses too much water accidentally. The state of California will like come down on the guy with fines and like shut down his water. But like these cartel guys are like able to, to do whatever they want out there at this point. Like they're literally destroying all these Joshua trees and all the environment and they don't get hit for it. They don't get misdemeanor. I mean, they're operating freely. And that's just because, I mean, law enforcement doesn't have the manpower. But if you're a rancher and if you use too much water one day, the state of California <laughs> will, will, will fucking come after you with everything they got. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's really where we're at. They'll take your shit. Uh, by the way, on a complete side note, if you are ever in California and you get a chance to go out and see these Joshua trees, those pictures did not do it justice. It is some sort mm-hmm. of weird phenomenon. You'll be driving along the road, and then all of a sudden you're in the, the Joshua tree. and it, they were Like you look behind you, and there's not a single one. And you look in front of you, and the land's covered with them. Uh, and the other places also, you've got to go see the giant sequoias. If you've never seen – uh, the giant sequoias. And then if you're in Africa, you got to see the baobab trees. I'm kind of a tree nut. Those three trees are some of the craziest trees. Uh, the giant sequoia, the baobab in Africa, and these Joshua trees are bizarre. They're, they're, yeah, they're not I, even from this planet. Yeah, I think like the Joshua trees, I think like 
where I live out there in Southern California, it's like the only climate in the world or whatever, where like these things could even be grown. So it's like a, it's a kind of important thing, man. But like I said, these guys are out there just operating freely, doing whatever the hell they want. Um, threatening in America. your documentary, you showed a section of river that was, I think two miles long. They had fucking killed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just That's pumping nuts. it, pump, pumping yeah. it, black poly pipe. Um, so these guys are like sophisticated guys. Like these guys are like, um, hardworking. You could you could even hear it in a John Norris, John John Rogan podcast, where like Joe Rogan's like, dude, if these guys were like in the just you know operating like in a in a, in a legal business, these guys are like some of the hardest working guys ever because they're out there trekking <laughs> miles, they're bringing polypipe, um, and they're out there living on that land. So these guys are like hardworking individuals that like you know um, know how to work with the tools that they got. <laughs> Going back to John yeah. Norris, there's another crazy statistic you give. We talked about the 10,000 cartel members living in California. Um, but how about this statistic? What was it here? 25% of all California game wardens are tasked to fighting fucking. Oh, here it is. 25% of state game wardens are assigned to cannabis enforcement teams. What I'm the actually fuck? so glad you brought this up, dude. How um, is that? I mean, that's. I thought they're supposed to be smoke, uh, uh, protecting Smokey the Bear and like making sure like, <laughs> taking dead deer off the road and shit and yelling at camp people for starting fires. So I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought this up, man, because the game warning thing is actually another angle um, to the story that's happening in California. And, and I'll start off with, with John Norris. So the way John explained it to me is he said, hey, Hori, like game wardens are supposed to be out there, you know, uh, Basically, giving giving guys tickets if they're out there hunting, like at night, they call that like spotlight shooting or something like that. That's a huge thing. If they're out there, uh, you know, diverting water, um, hunting endangered animals, stuff like that. And that's why fishing he, without he, a license. Yeah, fishing without a license. That's why that's why he joined. Um, and then, like, like I said earlier, guys, around 0304, he stumbles on these marijuana grows, and the passion for John is to see that th how these guys were just wrecking the environment, the amount of chemicals, the water, th how they were just destroying everything. He wanted the, the game wardens to get behind it. So um, game wardens all of a sudden in California went from just all that stuff to now we have a cartel issue. The issue is game wardens um, for a good period of that time and, and, and a good effort from John uh, John's effort, but for a good effort that time, game wardens weren't even that respected by law enforcement guys. So the, the um, these guys weren't getting paid the best. Um, for those who don't know, game wardens training is very difficult. So they have to do everything that like like a police officer has to do or like a sheriff deputy have to do. Then they have to do all the wildlife stuff. So they have to do all the law enforcement stuff because they're running into hunters of all types of guns and stuff and weapons. And they have to do all that and the wildlife stuff. Yet they don't even get paid or the benefits like these other guys. And these game wardens mm. are covering massive massive pieces of land i mean you 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 can talk to sam some game some game wardens they're like almost covering a whole county just one dude um and a lot of the Jeez. a lot of the time man, they're in these rural areas with no cell phone reception so john was telling me that in his early days he was working in riverside county and he was running into california game bangers that were fishing in you know with weapons middle of the night um so that's <laughs> that's what off with but um little by little as this cartel problem um, started to develop in, in California, um, law enforcement in Northern California started working with game wardens. So game, for, game wardens started to get the funding, the training they started to need. Um, over time, um, John finally developed the marijuana enforcement team. They, they, then they developed the uh, Delta team, which is like a sniper team. Um, a huge, a huge um, 
kind of help to helping these guys. And I recommend if you guys haven't um, look up a, a, a book. It's from John Norris. It's called War in the Woods. And how important these freaking canines are um, to stopping cartel guys. I mean, if these game wardens didn't have these canines, they would be in almost gunfire fights every time they're ready to grow. But these canines have been trained to, to basically go out there in the middle of nowhere and take on these Mexican nationals in the deserts. And these Mexican nationals have gotten smart, these cartel guys, and they develop basically booby traps um, for game wardens and for these canines. And a lot of these booby traps, I forgot the name of them, but John Norris said that some of these booby traps are kind of the same from Vietnam um, with the spikes and everything. So the Mexican nationals studied what the Vietnamese did um, back in the day, and they developed those same same type of booby traps and, and those tactics um, out there in the mountains. But it's fascinating what these game wardens have to do. And for people who didn't know, these guys are out there full-on Delta team getting dropped off in helicopters, fighting cartels um, out there. And, and John goes into it in his book called War in the Woods. Um, and he has a couple other books in this, but it really tells a story of what game wardens um, have to go through in, in California. And Does he you know, smoke weed? Does he smoke weed? John doesn't, but I, I want to say this quick little story. So, like, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, when I'm in, I was in Texas, um, you know, staying at a hotel a couple months ago and I'm, and I'm, I'm just, you know, watching like their boring hotel TV and I run across, um, a game warden show and obviously it's based on Texas game warden. So I'm thinking, oh, it's about to be badass. And this is no disrespect to, to Texas game warden. It's like, no <laughs> uh oh, I think it is. Badass. Like, you guys are going to be taking on like, I don't know. They're about to be doing badass Texas game warden stuff because after talking to John, what the California guys go through and I go on there. And they're like busting guys for like fishing with like no light, like <laughs> no light. that was like the show for thirty minutes. I'm like, what? That was it. I'm like these guys in California are taking it on. It was like, like cops, stuff. but with game wardens in Texas. <laughs> yeah, it was the most boring stuff. I'm thinking like, oh, these guys are taking taking on cartels. I'm like, these guys are like busting guys, busting guys for like fishing with no licenses. I'm like, wait a minute, the California version is way more entertaining. But um, and the funny thing is, John John gave me this. So a lot of the game warden guys um actually wear this in California. It's called. Um, they call it the thin green line, and this basically is for all the game wardens in California who have to basically, um, you know, out there taking on the cartels, middle of nowhere, and they're they're continuing to try to raise this alarm. Um, they're trying to also get more funding for these guys. They're trying to make the job more attractive, obviously higher salaries and higher benefits, um, because it's a pretty big task to tell someone, hey, do you want to take you know take on cartels in you know California national parks, because um, not only have you have to be an expert in you know the weapons and how to handle those high pressure situations. But you got to be, you got to also be an expert, like I said, in the game more and the wildlife mm-hmm. and kind of that area as well. Uh, they are the lowest paid deputies in the state. Yep. It's crazy, man. John, John, and look, if it wasn't for John, they probably would be paid a lot less. Like, John is like the one guy who's being vocal. Um, a lot of these guys are like, uh, have been put on a gag order under the state of California, Gavin Newsom. So like while they're working, they can't say anything. But like as soon as they retire, like guys like John are a huge help because they go on a Joe Rogan podcast or making books. Um, they inform me, dude, if it wasn't for John informing me, I wouldn't have no idea for this issue. And I learned about it when I was in college. And then I started covering the border. And that's when I met Congressman Mike Garcia, who said, hey, uh, I'm worried about this issue because we got cartels in California, in, in the deserts. And I said, wait a minute. I've heard about this in the podcast before, and I, I'm able to make the dots. And then after I put out Cartelville, the crazy thing is, after we put out Cartelville, John Norris actually reached out to me and said, "Hey, Jorge, I thought you did a great job and highlighted the issue." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm like, I wouldn't even know about this if it wasn't for you, man." So um, it, it's it's kind of crazy how our worlds collided, me and John, and then 
Um, I'm so glad that John agreed to come up to Northern California. So he he served a, a great role as an executive uh, producer. He was up there in Northern California State with us uh, for a week. He really informed us how the tactics, how the stuff they worked, the shootouts. Um, he was just a great asset. And then John was also was, was a big treat was he got to be embedded with us with Siskiyou County. So while Siskiyou County was raiding these girls, we got to have John there. And his expertise was it was it was really um, amazing. The thing that shocks John is, you know, he saw it in the early days when like there was like maybe like 500 of these girls for the whole state of California. I mean, that number is laughable now. I mean, I mean, I mean, like I said, you got 500 just where I live in, in L.A. County. Um, and then like a sister county, you got 10,000 just there alone. So, I mean, that, that 500 number is it's so laughable now. Is, is marijuana the mo- the largest crop by uh, do- dollar wise in the United States? Oh, I wouldn't know. I um, wouldn't know. I'm not a, I'm not your plant guy. Um, yeah, man. Or do, do you ever suspect that any of these guys are on the take? Like if they're, if you're only making $50 or $20 an hour, there, uh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easy to just be like, Hey, there's a, there's a, there's a good chance. Matthew, if you could actually bring this one up, cause this would be interesting is, mm-hmm. um, back in 2016, there was a Hmong couple, um, that basically went up to the Siskiyou County Sheriff. If you put like Siskiyou County Sheriff Hmong, um, a bribe maybe even the story pops pops up should, should pop up there was a there was a married monk couple i think they were married but basically there was a monk couple they went up to the Siskiyou county sheriff at that time and they offered the sheriff one million dollars in cash if the sheriff didn't raid their girls now obviously wow. the wow. sheriff immediately contacted the fbi and they 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 they, they got that handled but it kind of shows the money and the power that these guys have out there there was also be, in the middle of the documentary, guys, we were supposed to interview a um, a county board of supervisor. I don't want to say for what county. We were supposed to interview a county board of supervisor, and the very next day, they were threatened by like one of the arm growers, and like they backed out. So they, they have real, wow. real power. But but uh, I don't know if you have that story, Matthew. But it's interesting because they actually went to look it up um, with one million dollars. If you put Siskiyou County, it's spelled. Um, let me see if I can put it in the chat here. I'm going to uh, read this to you guys for a second. The cannabis is now the fifth. This is from 2021. Cannabis is now the fifth fifth most valuable crop in the United States behind corn, soybeans, hay, and wheat. It's it's a wholesale value of 6.2 billion. Uh, it it passed uh, cotton, rice, and peanuts. Crazy, dude. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Wow, who would have thought Alaska has a hundred and four million dollars of cannabis grown? That must be is that, is that is that indoor? That has to be Colorado one one billion, Massachusetts two fifty two, Nevada four thirty three, Oregon six hundred two. Um, Boom! That's the one, dude. Wow. <laughs> okay, so it happens. It would be. It, it's pretty hard. It's probably pretty hard saying uh, no to a million dollars. And, and a lot of these folks out there are making no money almost in their positions. I mean, these are very low wage jobs. So, I'm, you know, a lot of these folks could be easily convinced, hey, look the other way. Look at this cash. I mean, so this sheriff, I mean, he if he, if he could have wanted to, could have easily took the one mil cash and could have not said anything. But I mean, he, he immediately went to the FBI. Obviously, they got they got the they got this couple. But to me, it also just shows that, you know, 
the amount of money they're making in the black market, whether you just got a million to just throw the sheriff to, to keep his mouth shut. Hey, so uh, one of the reasons uh, this is an interesting statistic, and it and it's it gets so easily easily misrepresented by the left, which just sucks. But three percent of the county is Asian, and yet seventy eight percent of the illegal grow arrests are Asian. So it's at some point you 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 get the picture there, right? It's they're not going after Asians; they're going after illegal grows. And, and, it and, it, to be Asian. And, and it happens to be their business. You, you you raid a carpet store and it's in Southern California. It's going to be a bunch of Armenian dudes. I mean, it's just it's the business they're in. Um, uh, you said that this kind of influx of monks happened started in 2016, <clears throat> but also in the doc, the the police are busting grows that are up to 10 years old. So that means this shit has been going on forever, and now finally it's exploding. No, it's 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 been going on for quite a while. It's just now we have the monk community getting involved, and now we're seeing the way they've kind of evolved in it. But this, like this issue in Northern California, isn't anything new. It's just that the explosion, and now where it's at, is something where it's it's kind of completely out of hand, and where they can't handle it. And when I'm interviewing people down there, they feel that that they need like the national guard, like they feel like they need Washington D.C. It's scary involved. for them. They're scared. Yeah, and it, it's gotten to that point, and. You know, me, you know, myself, seeing it, seeing myself, it almost feels like if Washington, D.C. doesn't come in, this is never even going to get solved because mm. most communities down there. The not getting is- solved. Is it going to get worse? I, this is the craziest stat, and I've been saving this for last. Northern California <laughs> has more missing people than the rest of all – has more missing people uh, than the rest of all of California. Fucking no one lives up there. Yeah. <laughs> the missing- I mean, dude. People need to understand there's counties with 44,000 people. I'm, we have neighborhoods in the rest of California that have 44,000 people. Mm-hmm. And yet these, these areas, I'm trying to look for the exact stat, but it was something like right- – And really quick, I, I want to yeah. add to the thing yeah. that you brought yeah. up. Um, it's a nickname up there. So when you're up there, a lot of these immigrants that are being forced to work on these girls or that or work on these girls, they're called trimigrants. And a lot of the oh, – a lot of the – a lot of the trimigrants are the ones that go missing in the in the illegal weed. So that's another that's another thing. Meaning that they're bought into harvest plants to yeah. trim down the weed. It, for you know, sale. The amount of the amount of people that go go missing up there in Northern California connected to this illegal weed stuff is like it's really eerie, man. It's some scary. It's some scary stuff, and that's that's a huge issue um, as well. Um, especially like Medicinal County, people go missing in Medicinal County, man. Left- oh, Mendocino. Uh, Mendocino. Mm-hmm. Hey. Uh, have they ever uncovered like any any burials where there's just like fucking twenty dead workers? No, that would be some some that'd be some crazy crazy shit. What what actually has happened though is um two weeks ago, I get called from a dude who told me that he just bought a piece of property and that it used to be a former grow and that everything was still there. So what he told me was he just bought this property. And basically, like the uh, the tarps and all that stuff is, is everything still there. He said he dug up a hole. They found um, basically bags of cash and ammos for long guns. And he basically they looked up the original property name. And it, it was a Mexican national. So uh, did you tell him, "Hey, motherfucker, that's not an old grow. You bought a fucking current <laughs> grow. You better yeah. get the fuck off the property." Last years grow. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was a like, funny. There at the dude. store, he, run. He was kind of he was kind of hippied out, and I was like, "Hey, man, like, uh, are you gonna turn this stuff over to law enforcement?" And he was like, "Oh no, man, this stuff is like historic. I gotta keep this." So, uh, so, he, so he's asking me to go to go look at it when up. I'm up in Northern California again. 
Tell them wow. I'll come up and look at it for some money. Hey, are, <laughs> are, are there any, are there any, um, you know, like if you drive in Mexico, you, you shouldn't drive at night on any of the highways. A, a lot of the world is like that. Is it getting like that up in Northern California? Do, like I've never heard of that in the United States where it might not be safe to drive at night. They have areas where they, where they, where the community there knows not to go. So um, like when I was wow. in Shasta okay. County, the one that I was like really shocked is they have a couple mountains up there where Amazon and UPS don't even deliver anymore. So what the stories that I've heard over and over was when Amazon and UPS used to go up there, they would be threatened by Hmong um, armed growers. And after that, they're like, you know what? It's made like a company rule. They don't even deliver up there. So mail doesn't even go up there. Um, some of the some of these mounds are so dangerous with these growers and armed growers that like, let's say there's an emergency, like an ambulance needs to call it or firefighter. Um, those, those, uh, they've been ordered that they cannot attend to that 911 call unless they're accompanied with a sheriff deputy. So if they call a sheriff deputy and if that sheriff deputy is on the other side of the county handling a whole other issue, they cannot handle that 911 call until that sheriff deputy can accompany them. So there's been times where they needed an ambulance, an emergency, and they've gone there like an hour and a half, two hours late. Oh, wow. Because they need an armed officer, um, to be accompanying some of these areas they go to. One of the interviews that, that didn't make it um, in a documentary, but it was super fascinating, was uh, this guy who starts up this cleaning business. Like, you know, he like cleans for like companies and like basically, you know, mass waste for other companies up in uh, up in Chino, California. And um, little by little, the count, the city starts contacting this guy and said, hey, man, we need a company to basically clean up these illegal marijuana grows. And we keep putting out bids. And no one wants to wants to take take them. Would you take them? Like, would you take the job if we if we paid you? So the guy's like, yeah. So the guy starts cleaning up these illegal marijuana girls with his team, and the, he notices he notices really quickly why no one wants to take the job, because every time they have to raid these, they have to clean these girls. They have to basically be in, be in areas where there's active girls. So you basically, his chemical cleaning guys, they're out there in hazmat and bulletproof vests. Or oh, shit. Oh, shit. cleaning cleaning these girls because law enforcement refuses to go up with the company. And the wow. thing is, this guy is making a killing because the city keeps putting out these no these contracts, you know, overpaying, and no one, no one, no, no company wants to take them because no one, no company wants to arm their guys. It doesn't even <laughs> sound like they have the resources to accompany them. If you only yeah. have two so sheriffs, I mean, yeah. this guy keeps naming his price to the city or whatever or the county. And is making like a freaking killing out there in Chino, but I mean he's out there like you know they are they are you know he's obviously putting himself at risk because anytime they're out there. So I did an interview with this guy. I put on the whole hazmat. It was hilarious. Um, his whole like bulletproof. I mean it's funny, man. They get these guys are out there armed and they're cleaning out there. Like these guys are not even meant for that type of work. Um, but they said like, dude, law enforcement refuses to come up with us. And when you hear these stories, man, over and over, like the thing that just always plays in my head is. This is happening in the United States, and like it's—I mean, up in up in Northern California at this point, like to some folks, it's like become a way of life. It's like so normal. When I'm in the California deserts, it's become a way of life. Like people know there's no go zones. People know that like now to check your mail, you need a gun on you. It wasn't always like that, um, but that's life um, for these communities in Northern California, and it sucks because a lot of the communities out there they live out there because they already hate the cities. They don't want to be in these cities in California where the crime. And all these issues are already becoming a huge problem. They want to mm-hmm. get away from that. And all is there anywhere crap. where they're assimilated with the cartel? 
Did you see any people who were assimilated with it? Like they make money off it? Like they sell them pots or fertilizer? Well, or- I will say this. I <laughs> mean, regular, like where they've helped the economy? A lot, of, a lot of in these rural communities, the rural, the people living there, some of these people benefit from the cartel because the owners of the tractor supply are making a freaking killing. I right. think it, I think like the one of the highest tractor supplies and sales is in Siskiyou County with like a, a, a town with like no one living there. And they're right. making a, they're making a killing. So um, some of those some of the owners of those businesses have communicated to the rancher says, "Hey, dude, I hate what's going on, but I mean, business has never been better. No, we've never sold so much black pipe. Yeah, and like <laughs> lumber, uh, the black poly pipes, the tarps. I mean, all that stuff. Um, oh, dude, they're making a killing out there. The, the tractor supplies in, in Northern California. Uh, try growing up in Humboldt County. FBI shows up in all black SUVs and stays in one hotel. Whole county knows and everyone goes underground. They bust one farm and leave. The shit I've seen is traumatizing. She also goes oh, yeah. on to say, um, I can attest we lived on a dairy ranch and we never called 911. That's why yep. uh, you need guns. Damn. Dude, dude it's it's crazy. It, to me, it's fascinating what, both of the communities because I've seen both of the differences of like what Northern California in, in the deserts and it's like it's like the wild, wild west in both areas where it's like you got to stay strapped. You got to watch your back. You, It's like where you call your local sheriff and your sheriff's like, well, I'm an hour and a half away. So what do you want? <laughs> you're like, shit out of luck. That was a great accent. And you know what's crazy <laughs> too, Jorge? It, um, you, the, the stuff at the border that you do always – seemed more dangerous from the you know the the hundred thousand foot view but now that you give us the granular details of the two jobs covering cartels in in california versus the border the border seems safe i mean like all those people there look dangerous because they could potentially do something they could all attack you but the truth is they won they're already there they got (laughs) what they want right they're in we're in yeah i mean both you know both of them you know pose their their the risk, you know, um, you know, covering the border, you know, last year in October is when I is when I was uh, had the whole thing with the hu- human smuggler drawing the gun on us and like mm-hmm. threatening us. I remember that. Um, so it poses it poses a, a different risk. Um, in in the first filming of Cartelville, the the first challenge when it came to safety that we faced was getting as close as we can to film the grows, even getting our drone over them. And the thing is, when we were in the middle of the nowhere in the desert, and let's say, like, if you're a, a girl, um, for us to even get the drone in an area where we could even get the girl, we had to be, like, I think, like, less or right around a mile and a half away, right? So so picture this in your head. So in the middle of nowhere, and if you're out there, and let's say in the middle of the day, if you see, like, a Honda Civic, <laughs> you know, you know, half a mile away, and you're a car- these cartel growers, you're going to be like, wait a minute. We're the only ones out here. There's only one reason any vehicle should be coming, you know, should be here to come to us. We don't know that car. Oh yeah, we're we're after it. So in in the daylight, it was pretty eerie because we would have to fly our drone, and we would basically be in spots where, like, if they just come out, oh, we're we're spotted. The scary situation that happened, two of them happened in broad daylight. One of them, we were um, on the LA County San Bernardino County line, and we found the biggest active grow that we saw in the desert, which was, I mean, I I don't know if it was an acre or two. It was massive. I mean, a hundred greenhouses. This is indoor. Okay. Outdoor, outdoor in the deserts. Like but, 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 but indoor meaning in hoop houses. Yeah. In hoop houses, okay. but out in the, in the outdoors. So we fly our drone over it, do our whole thing. We, we fly back to the Honda. And as we're driving out, they spotted us and they actually put a drone over us. So they actually, <laughs> oh. 
Oh that shit! My Honda had like my license plates on it too. I was so f. And they followed. They followed us out. And the other one that happened in in, in daylight. Um, it happened on the second day we were filming. Is we were filming this this active girl. The, the guy spots us and then goes back in the girl. And then, you know, when we got spotted, we're like, hey, man, we should get in the car. We get in the car. I had a full-on truck out there because it's like, you know, it's, it's rural and it's it's pretty rough terrain. So we're out there driving out. This guy hops in like a little Honda Civic and just like capture, captures up to my truck and is like on us, dude. Tell us. And um, the only reason we got away is because out there in the desert, sometimes like a lot of companies will start, you know, they film commercials. So we actually hopped on this road. And made a left, and they were filming a commercial. So we actually, when they film a commercial, oh, deserts, they have to put a cop on each end of the side. So the right. rancher that we were with, you know, uh, drives up to the cop, does a nasty U-turn, and was like, "Hey, we're getting chased by this cartel guy. Can we just hang out here?" Um, so it, it posed some, <laughs> it posed some challenges. Northern California posed some challenges too. I felt safer in Northern California because in Northern California you have the trees, you have a lot of elements where you could kind of be hidden yourself. Um, but in a desert, I felt there was a lot more risk in Cartelville because it was in the middle of nowhere. We, we also in Cartelville, you would see, but we would, we would go out there in the middle of night to get the drone shots for the night shots of the, of the, of the, of the operations. Now, now my, my drone operator at that time, he felt, he felt more scared going out at night. Um, than in the day I felt more scared in the day. I felt that at night it actually helped us out because I felt like we couldn't be seen. Um, all that darkness in the deserts gave us all the advantages. So I felt mm-hmm. better at night. Um, he felt better than day, but um, it posed some challenges, but we were able to to overcome them. And um, and I'm really thankful for the ranchers and the residents because those motherfuckers have balls, man. Because after the interviews, they would be like, "Hey, man, you want to hop in the car?" And I'll freaking take you to them. Um, so they were yeah. down to like take them pretty, take us pretty close to them. So really thankful for the for the residents who are who are down for that. The drone shots in Narcafornia, uh, your most recent documentary. Well, the first one too, but there are some crazy ones. Mm-hmm. I cannot even believe they're real. I mean, it's just like it, it's just hundreds of fucking yep. rows. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Like I said, and um, we like I said, it, in this one we had some we had some advantages. Like I said, just the way Northern California set up with the tree, so we, we were able to get a lot. Um, the difference too is in Northern California, you would find a bunch of these operations like they would be all right next to each other, almost bundled up. Um, in the deserts, you weren't seeing that. You were seeing big ones, but they were very spread out. You weren't seeing them bundled up like they they, they were there. There was one mountain where um, there was like a thousand or just one mountain near near Doors, California. We 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 flew the drone over, um, but man, it was it was uh it was crazy crazy to see it and just how wide open and um, just like these these ranchers being like, dude, what the hell do we do? <laughs> I mean, what's your what's your do you, are you doing another are you going to do another drug documentary in California? Do you know? As as, like, a, as a right now, I want to shift um, potentially something with fentanyl. Um, I'm 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 tr- also want to shift a little bit more into the major crimes in a lot of these cities. I think there's one of the cities mm-hmm. that a lot, a lot of people don't know about right now that that's that's been uh, really crazy with the murder rate is St. Louis. So I want to start looking at St. Louis. Awesome. Um, awesome. We've been speaking actually. I've been speaking to a lot of Asian Americans living in San Francisco awesome. who actually voted against the DA who've been um. And oh I, yeah, they got their, they got rid of their DA, right? That guy was fucking a nut. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you guys have been seeing the videos of like, you know, there'll be like a seven year old Asian woman. She'll be like on the sidewalk, and then like three yeah. teams just roll up, beat the shit out of her for no reason. So we're gonna be speaking to a lot of the Asians, Asian Americans, Asian activists who are really p- pissed off about the crime um, up in San Fran. We might do some with fentanyl. So we're gonna be shifting the focus, but um, right now, as of like in real time, we're in Yuma, Arizona. So we'll be doing some border coverage um, tonight. Uh, working on some on some uh, on some different stories down here, man. And um, 
yeah, kind of kind of shifting focus on, like I said, more crime. I want to get into the fentanyl and this uh, this new rainbow fentanyl that's been um, kind of becoming a new uh, phenomenon is I want to look at too. Uh, so how does this end in Northern California? What's the next step? Does it does does it get worse before it gets better? Like we're just you. I I um I mean man I I hate to be so. What if negative. we all quit? What if we all quit smoking weed? I I don't even smoke weed. So Gotta quit on the East Coast. Coast. The East yeah. Coast. Yeah, the East yeah. Coast, man. All those damn in Jersey. There's puffing in Jersey, but um, at this point, I hate to say it, but it's it almost seems like the, it's it's already doomed because what's what's already going to happen and what I'm seeing happen in the deserts is regular people can't stand it anymore, so they're moving out and putting their homes for sale, and two things are happening. Um, either more else. growers are just going to buy the homes up and then, you know, these communities basically turn into grower communities or another family is going to just buy the home. And then within a year or two, they're going to realize, holy crap, look at the mess I'm into. And I'm, and the thing is in the first documentary, like nine out of the 10 residents we interviewed had already put their homes up for sale. So they're already like, oh, we're done. So we're already seeing the move up in Northern California. Most of the, uh, some of the people have already started to move. Um, and you know, they're already leaving now. Look, a lot of people do have pride, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, this is my home. Mm-hmm. We're going to fight for as long as we can. But a lot of the time, man, a lot of, a lot of these people too, in these rural communities are, um, you know, retired. So they're not young bucks that could, you know, in their thirties and, or even in their forties, they're already in the sixties, the seventies. They don't have the energy to deal with the water theft mm-hmm. or to be up at night or like always have a gun on them and be alert. Um, so we are, we are, what I'm thinking is, it's just going to get worse because these people are going to continue to move out and we're just going to see these communities change. Also for the, like a lot of the ranchers and the farmers, um, they actually want to pass their land to their kids. The issue oh, is that, right. The issue is, uh, give me a second guys. The, the, the issue is that their kids, um, and I, I spoke to some of the kids, they're like, well, why would I take over my mom's or dad's land when a yeah. the state of California, this is not even cartel related. The state of California has already restricted my water and I'm going to be over penalized just for trying to keep the ranch up. So now we have to deal with uh, with the whole water issue in California, mm-hmm. inflation, supply chain, and now cartel. It's like, dude, is this? It's so a lot of the a lot of the ranches like, dude, we we want to pass it pass this down to our kids. Our kids literally won't even take it from us, even if we pay them to take the land. They don't they don't want to deal with it. So now we're going to see lost generations of ranchers and farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know where the bright spot is. And another thing that, that uh, I want to say, this is from observing, like, you know, we didn't include, include this in documentary, but when you're in these towns, the, all these towns, you know, back in the nineties or even early two thousands, um, were thriving little towns where like, um, you know, if you're driving out there road trips, people stop in these towns, they stop at the hotels, they stop at, you know, the restaurants there, the truckers, like these were all thriving little towns. They didn't, they didn't need large populations. They were all doing great. Um, but because of California and because of how hard life is for ranchers and farmers and rural life and the taxes and just cost of living, um, especially the water issue. I mean, that, that's really the number one thing. But I'm looking at yeah. homes in Doris, California, as you talk to. Yeah, Fuck, because it's of, in the middle of nowhere, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so because of all of that, guys, when you're driving in the middle of these towns, they are now literally like diving little towns. Like, where, mm-hmm. like you're driving by and you feel bad because – there's nothing there. And there's like, so the people there are like losing hope. All You have all these towns that are like, dude, we've lost hope. We have, we have no future. Like no young people want to deal, deal with this. So there's no young people to stay there. The old right. boomers are going to die off in like the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, dude, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty devastating, bro. I don't, I, I like that town doors. I mean, 
I'm making a joke about it, but it could not even exist in the next 20 years, man. Here for 12 million bucks, you can get 3,000 acres. (laughs) 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 Shit. Oh my God, this is fucking the middle of nowhere. Here's here's a house for 20 grand. I didn't even know that existed. Well, the lack of resources is what's really crazy too because if you crazy. think about it, there's no support from the state. It's actually working against them in every way. You talk about the water restriction being penalized, yet the cartels are moving tons of gallons of water out of there all the time illegally, poisoning the water that's there. It just, it. I can't help but think that a lot of this has occurred from obviously lots of things, but mostly just failed policies of the leaders at a state level almost. And, and that's what, that's what we're, we're seeing in every single, every single issue. And the thing is um, when we talk about this issue now is like, it's not even like a left or right issue. This is just, this is just should be a Californian issue because yeah. all of those Californians deal with the water theft. We're all getting hit by like, in LA County, like, you know, we're getting, we're getting the letters from the county saying, Hey motherfuckers, you can only use this mount now. We're coming, we're coming down. So we, we all get hit by it. The environmental issue, um, whether you're left or right, I think just as a human, you don't want to see like migrants being like forced to work on these girls. I mean, the conditions, first yeah. of all, are not slave great. labor. Yeah. It's slave labor. Like yeah. uh, in both sides, like whether you're in Northern California or in, in my deserts in SoCal, um, as you guys know, in the summer, it could get to 110 out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, very, very it can hot. get crazy. Yeah. It can get crazy. So we could all agree like the like we don't even want the, these conditions for the people and for the state of California like just from a politician standpoint like literally just like from a suit and tie like politician standpoint a you're not making no money because you're not seeing the tax revenue mm-hmm. all the water is being stolen from you so then it's a, it's becoming a state problem i don't know where the vic- i don't know where the victory is and now i mean when we were doing this documentary this wasn't the case but now we have our governor having his sights Said on the White House for 2024, and this is an issue that he's going to bury, that he's not going to talk about. Um, I also mentioned in the documentary very briefly, but I try to say that whether it was a Democrat or a Republican running in the recall election last year here in the California, this wasn't even like a top three, top five issue. Like no one brought it up. No one brought up the illegal growth, the water theft, what ranchers and farmers are going through. This is not just the Northern California issue, dude. This is in Lassen, Siskiyou, Shasta, and then coming mm-hmm. down to San Bernardino, LA County. We got Kern County uh, right now. I can't to- imagine Shasta is going to tolerate that. Ooh, I mean, Shasta right now is up to like 4,000, 5,000 grows. Lassen Crazy. County, <laughs> Lassen County right now is at 2,000 grows. And that, that might not sound a lot for how big Lassen is, but. The thing is, it's going to explode because Lassen County has no manpower. I'm talking about like zilch, nothing out there. Um, it's it's crazy how rural uh, we were out there to, in an area. I don't know if you want to even Google this, Matt, uh, Matthew, really quick. I didn't even know this place existed. It was called Ravendale with like a population of like a hundred people, and there was like fifty operations already in place. Like Mexican, like it's it's nuts how these guys have picked out these really rural areas where they know that like. Law enforcement can't get to, or if they do, it'll take a yeah. Like this is yeah, middle of nowhere right here, bro. <laughs> yeah, unincorporated community in yeah. Latin County. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the map too. There's not even a single house for sale. <laughs> yeah, dude. Now. there's only yeah. land. It's only yeah. land. It sounds like out of a movie like Ravendale, like some some movie out of like the movie Twilight. But we were hey, we 400 were... acres for 200 grand. Oh, there you go, dude. Yeah, the the, the, the it, basically seventy wow. acres for eighty grand. It's a, it's a thousand bucks an acre here. Wow. And and what's funny is like you know these guys are out there purchasing this land with you know some of this land now majority of the time they want the land with an access to water 
But like in Ravendale, there's like no access to water, but they yeah. they're still out there hauling water, um, figuring figuring it out how to bring the water in. By, you know, buying these massive old water trucks and just hauling all those all that to really, really yeah, middle of nowhere type of stuff, man. And um, it's, it's like a, I said, this is kind of an underreported story. I really like. I, I recommend everyone if they can listen to the first. Um, I'll get them on your guys's podcast for sure. But listen to the first Joe Rogan and John Norris um, podcast. Listen to how, you know, because John. I'm going to get this a- guy's book. I'm going to get this guy's book tonight when we get off. I'll, I'm driving tomorrow for five hours. I'll listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Because um, John John really talks about it from the issue of the 0506 and what they had to face then. And then, you know, we really handle it from what, you know, how it's it exploded now. But John, like I said, um, look up John, guys. Look up the War on the Woods. I think you guys you will find it fascinating. There's a what's, what's great about John's books is there's a bunch of photo evidence. So you're looking at all the Mexican nationals they apprehended. Uh, another little thing, and we, we we spoke about it multiple times on this podcast, is the uh, the Santa Muerte. So when they when they when they raid these girls, you'll see like the the cartel religion. You know, they have this like kind of religion in Mexico that they think that 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 you know what they're doing is the right thing. So they have a the Santa Muerte, the sacrifice. So sometimes you'll see dead animals next to these little uh, you know prayers and candles. So you'll you'll see a lot of Santa Muerte. There's a these things called the um, forgot the, the the term, but there's these boats that these these Mexican nationals what they'll do is they'll take them sometimes from Mexico, they'll take them from San Diego, um, and they'll take them all the way to Northern California, and they'll haul all the marijuana up there on the shores and 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 you mean see- along the coast? They'll they'll they'll, they'll yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think wow. they call them. I forgot the the exact um, boat name, but they call that also the and then the the traps. Um, that kind of are similar to what the Vietnamese did in the Vietnam War. He has a lot of images of like the traps, the booby traps they set up for game wardens for animals um, to be caught up in. Um, so I, I highly recommend people to just look about this issue because it's one of the more fascinating ones just because um, being from California and, you know, marijuana is so embedded in our culture where like marijuana is basically like alcohol and um, mm-hmm. people basically will have no idea that this black market industry is operating with this. And look, this is nothing against weed. It's not like, oh, I want weed illegal now and put those people to jail for smoking joints. No one cares about that. This is all about, you know, water theft, human smuggling, the violence, mm-hmm. the amount of murders, the homicides that are connected to these girls are, uh, I mean, it's highly alarming. And the thing is, because this wasn't solved in Northern California, now Southern California has become the new safe haven um, for these guys. They just discovered, like, wait a minute. Look at these deserts. Look at these, you know, look at all the – and then the thing is what makes the deserts great is we have the – like the California aqueduct runs through my um, runs through my hometown. It runs through, the, runs through the Andela Valley. So what these guys do sometimes is they'll put some black poly pipe and just put it in that aqueduct and just pump water, dude, all day yeah. and night. Um, and then because we have farming communities in a lot of these rural communities, you obviously have a lot of the counties they'll put up fire hydrants for the ranchers. But what the cartels will do, the growers, is in the middle of the night – They'll tap into the fire hydrants and just pump pump water all day. Um, where I live in in in, um, in Antelope Valley, we have about a hundred uh, fire hydrants for for the ranchers because of water stuff is so high. Um, they shut off like about like sixty of them, so we're down. I think we got like forty left. Crazy. Up in up in Doris, up in Doris, California, they have like about a hundred of these fire hydrants, and the same things happening right middle of the night. They're getting hit with the water theft. The thing is. Um, to lock those fire hydrants, they uh, the lock costs a hundred bucks. But this little town is so poor, they can't afford these hundred locks. These hundred locks for hundred dollars to put on these locks. So they're just like, 
They don't know Holy what they I'm laughing because it's like so absurd that this is like happening in the US and like just how blatant it is in, in 2022 as well. Jorge, amazing, amazing, amazing uh, 82 minutes. Thank you, brother, for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, can't wait to have you on again. You demand, as always. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and tell your grinder date. Sorry, um, he can have you back now. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> okay, bye. Appreciate Later, it. Later, thank you. Did he get the grind? The dude in the back? Did he get? The grind? <laughs> he get, I think he did. <laughs> right at the end, he was like, "Wait, what, dude? That is crazy." I watched that the doc. I know you watched the doc too, but it was just like you wouldn't think of it being the Wild Wild West, and all I have to do is drive about two hours north, not even. I know it's so go. close to us. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it was nuts because that, like I was uh, told a little bit here, but I knew a guy that lived in Mendocino County and that's what he did. He knew some mob guys out in the East coast and he would ship between 10 and like 20 pounds just through the local mail, mail parcels that parcels there in the town. And they had people that worked at each one. So it'd be like, Oh, go oh, see, go right. see John on Thursday between right. 10 and six. You're going to hand him this package. You're going to go to UPS. And this time you're going to see so-and-so at this time. And um, he would actually receive money back through the mail, 60, 70 grand at a time coming through there. And they had that whole area. But, you know, it's interesting, the difference between him and what uh, Hori was explaining with the cartels is that, you know, obviously it was very illegal and it was going across state lines, but he had a family there. They were invested in the schools there. He had like a, you know, a small business in the town. So at least some of that money circulated back into the local economy by it through the black market. But it's nuts when you have the cartels coming in, taking all that water, taking all that stuff, and it's just leaving us bone dry. There's nothing being reinvested back into it. Whoever pays the bills is in charge. And so if the cartel's paying the bills, they're in charge. That's, I mean, that's why the Democrats want to give away so much welfare. Well, he started the they conversation with um, them noticing all the new registered voters, right? That's right. It started, hey, there's something weird. There's 500 new registered voters in a town of a thousand fucking people. <laughs> this seems odd. And then you saw more and more and more of that. Wow. All right. Uh, live calling show oh. tomorrow night. Is that the plan? Yeah. Okay. Uh, guys, I think that show will be at 7 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, crazy travel day tomorrow. Um, Hiller voice idiot. Hiller voice idiot. Bummer, I thought it started at 8 Pacific Standard Time. We could we could start at 8. We could start late. You need to start at 8? We start at 8 for you, Eric. Whatever you need, boy. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for checking in. Great day. Uh, if you didn't get to check out the podcast this morning with Nikki Rodriguez and uh, Mr. Jason Kalipa, please check it out. We got Alex Stein rescheduled. Uh, we have live calling show mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow evening. And then I think we have... Uh, an affiliate show the following day. And then I think we have a UFC show with Nunley and Darren Weeks on Friday. Yep. I'm going to try for the next uh, nine or 10 days only to do one show a day, all of them at 7 a.m. Um, my kids got a jiu-jitsu tournament on September 10th. And I want to make sure that I'm getting them to all their classes and all their uh, training over the next 10 days because we've been slacking the last two weeks being down here at the beach every day. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, see you guys soon. Susa. Thank you.